Hello and welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others podcast, mainly for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. This is the show to help you explore ways to become the best version of yourself at work as a manager. Each episode, you'll hear from some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share your passion to elevate and transform team culture. They'll share insights in self-leadership and leading others. Together, we can make workplace culture better. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self and lead others. With an MBA in organisational behaviour and leadership, Sally Folly Lewis has authored multiple books, including The Productive Leader and Delegate, Double the Results, Halve the Effort. With an astute understanding of self-leadership and productivity, Sally Foley Lewis worked as a senior leader in Germany, the Middle East, Asia and Australia. Sally is a professional speaker, coach and workshop leader. Welcome, Sally. People managers get, get, in, get an emotional attachment to their favourite tasks instead of thinking perhaps more big picture that their role is not just to do tasks but to in, develop the, the the capacity and the capability of the people under them so they can get promoted further up the chain towards the C-suite. Absolutely. What's your comments on that? Uh, I totally agree with you. And I think one of the things that delegation does for for leaders when we sit down and understand how to do it effectively is that we can... We can allocate tasks, which is fairly straightforward, and we can use delegation as a massive cost-effective development tool. And um, and I agree where if we don't look at delegation from a from a more strategic standpoint, we're, we're shortchanging ourselves as leaders. So um, yes, I understand completely that if you've been doing something for many years and it's something you do well and you enjoy it, but you're actually hindering your own career progression. You're actually getting in the way of of other opportunities coming to you if you don't consider delegating some of the tasks or the work that really should be done at different levels. Absolutely. And uh, to, to a certain degree, it isn't always just because you like doing that task. It could be that you don't trust that uh, anyone on your team to actually do it to your high standard. Is that sometimes an obstacle? If I had a dollar for every time a manager said to me, but I just don't trust that they'll do it my way, or I just don't trust that they'll do it to my standard. And to me, that's massive red flags around trust and relationships and communication. So, uh, and that falls into the roadblocks to delegating. When, when I'm working with managers and leaders, helping them to learn how to delegate, we don't go, we don't go anywhere near the how to delegate until we've actually looked at those roadblocks. And that starts with trust and relationships because, and like you said, um, it's just easier if I do it myself is usually the words that people will say but when you unpack it a little bit further and you sort of pull back an onion layer what we're really getting at is also trust and you know I haven't I haven't gotten to know my people well enough to know that uh, they will do it to my expectation plus I haven't set the delegation up properly so that they actually understand my expectations so it's a two-pronged issue right there. And of course, are they kind of a little bit busy thinking about uh, 
thinking short term, you know, I'm putting out fires, I've got to get this done, that done. They're working on urgency rather than seeing that delegating and developing capability is an important task with a long-term benefit. Would that be right? Absolutely. We work in a very, you know, we work and live in a massively fast-paced environment now where we need to get stuff done and we and the pressure to get it done faster seems to just be ramping up daily. However, unless we are a surgeon in triage in an emergency hospital where you probably won't be delegating much anyway and you've got clear lines of communication in that environment, the reality is we can afford to slow down a tiny bit so that when we sit there and we, and we have things thrown at us, we're not instantly triggered into it's just quicker if I do it myself. When we say that, when we say it's just quicker if I do it myself, is an immediate little tiny win for a massive, massive long-term loss because we are not seeing the opportunity to develop others. We are not getting it off our desk and actually encouraging our people to think, take the initiative and learn and grow. And we're just piling on our already endless to-do list. You know, when I look back uh, decades ago when I worked in television, I did actually have the opportunity to delegate to two uh, support staff and I didn't because mm. I thought that working hard was smart. And that's it's the exact opposite. If I'd have been delegating more, I would have been on the cards to be promoted to executive producer. But I look back now and I go, I think they just looked at me going, She's just doing it all herself. We can't trust her with a team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and interesting, isn't it? Because if we if we step back and look at what was driving that, and it, you know, it was a good intention. It was an understanding that I had to work hard. Or you take other reasons like um, everyone else is just too busy, and I thought I thought I was being helpful if I did it. You know, great positive intentions that are unfortunately we got to look a little bit beyond that and take a breath and see, hang on, is there possibly a better way? Is there possibly uh, some leverage in this so that everyone can, you know, move along and move up and have those opportunities and, and um, have an opportunity to shine in their role as well? And I suppose that there's a difference between support and tracking progress and micromanaging. There's a line that shouldn't be crossed. Uh, can you can you speak to that? <laughs> well, um, I think there's a very clear line between micromanaging and supporting <laughs> and following up. You know, a micromanager, I often ask when when people say to me, oh, but my boss is a micromanager. So my first question is to them, well, what what is going on in their world that you think is making them do that? And they look at me like I've never really thought of my boss like that. And so we need to have a, a moment of empathy and actually ask the question, what's causing the micromanagement? What is so far out of a sense of control that is triggering this person to tighten the reins and strangle everything that's going on when in actual fact, um, you know, when we think about that, we can then understand what's pushing them and then we are better equipped to actually help them. So that's the micromanagement side of things. So following up, following up is based on an agreed uh, discussion between the, the manager and the employee about the milestones you'll hit when you'll check in. Uh, let's just show progress. It's not, um, it's not about 
uh, being the teacher or the micromanager. It's actually about going, I value you as an employee. So I want you to know that I see you and I want to be able to go, hey, great progress. Or I want to know that you're not stuck on something waiting when I've got the power and authority to actually move something along for you. So following up is very different to micromanagement and support. It comes into that into that follow-up because it might be, well, you maybe you need my authority or maybe you do need a bit of my experience, which I can deliver through coaching rather than directing or telling and help the progress of that work move along. And sounds like it could be a two-way street, Sally, because the, the colleague who's actually doing the task, if they're stuck, they might be a fearful to actually say, hey, I'm stuck and ask a question. But it doesn't serve anybody if 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 people are sort of holding withholding their questions and and sort of waiting to to be asked and then the manager goes what you didn't think to ask me uh, I could have you know it, it eased the way for you absolutely well, that's one of the biggest things that I speak to managers about whether we're talking about delegation or interpersonal communication skills this comes up in both areas and it's about uh, assumptions. We assume as leaders, we often assume that we've got an open door policy because we feel as though everyone comes on in, you know, drowns our desk and brain with their problems. And, you know, we're, we're the nurse, we're the referee, we're the nurturer, the counsellor, you know, the decision maker. And as a boss, you know, we have everybody else's problems on our desk so we can automatically and it's quite you know it makes sense we would assume that people then um, should know they can just come and ask me anytime and that's the problem we you know we set up a delegation and we send someone off on their merry way and the minute they sit down and start to really think through what they've got to do and start to unpack that task you know, questions can pop up, you know, the little light bulb goes on that says, oh, hang on, did they mean this or did they mean that? Can I do this or can I do that? Am I allowed to use this or am I or not? And so, um, and that's normal and natural for all of us. And so one of the things I absolutely encourage managers and leaders to do is be explicit. Now, I think I've given you everything that I can think of. If you have a question, come and ask me. I don't want you to sit there waiting. And have you got any anecdotes about where a manager went to what they thought was enormous pains to describe the task or the project and the, uh, the colleague doing it came back with a result that when you look at it, you go, they're actually not wrong, but you can see that there's a complete uh, mismatch between what was uh, described and intended and what, was, what came back. So I will not throw anyone under the bus until I throw myself under there, Nina. And it was me. I thought I was the bee's knees in setting up one of my staff members when I used to be a senior leader. I had thought it through. I thought we're going to check in on this time. I've given you uh, all the people you need to talk to. We've talked about the project. You've asked me questions. We've, you know, we've even come up with some really great ideas. And I thought I was being too way. I was like boss of the year in that moment I thought I was just it and then uh two weeks had gone by and um I asked this employee how you're going oh this is awesome this is what I've done and that's what I've done and this is this is ticking along I'm just waiting on this so I thought this is fantastic oh, 
again, boss of the week award goes to Sally. Another two weeks go by and I get an invoice for uh, a certain figure of money that this employee had no actual uh, designated authority to um, set up. So they'd ordered something which they weren't allowed to order because the price was above their designated authority. So it had come to me and I was sitting there thinking, what on earth is this? It was tens of thousands of dollars. So um, I slightly forgot about what they can and can't do when it came to um, purchasing, resourcing, uh, sign-offs and things like that. And so that was an expensive lesson for Sally, which is why I talk about um, being super thorough in the beginning of delegation, why I say slow is fast, where we set it up properly in the beginning and cover everything then we're in a better position to make sure we don't have costly mistakes later. And, but as you said, but as you asked, it was a brilliant project. Like if, like, Oh, if we had the money, (laughs) that's it. See, um, they're not putting their hands in their own pocket and they probably did not have the big picture of the budget. So that's very interesting. Yeah. What are all the benefits of delegating and, and, and maybe there's probably a good way to delegate and a, and a, and a poor way to delegate? Well, I, a poor way to delegate, let's start with that one. Drive-by yeah. delegating is terrible. That's that, you know, when you're walking past someone and you just don't look, do you mind just having a look at this and making a decision and let me know how you get on? <laughs> you know, um, and I experienced that from a from a boss back in my early employee days, and I sat there overwhelmed because not only did they do drive by delegating, but it was fast, it was uh, incomplete, and it was consistent. So I got it a lot, and I actually felt at some point it also was based on where I was sitting and located on the office floor I was right in their line of sight Um, but in a in an online or a work from home or a hybrid environment that can still happen you know emails get sent off left right and center without a conversation without some context without slowing it down a little bit and and being explicit in the communication to say maybe read this let's talk yeah. yeah. And, and you've got to create the two way. We've got to have that two way conversation because you as the manager are listening to make sure they understand and they are understanding your expectations. And you as the employee are sitting there going, do I get it? Is that right? Can I do this? Do you mean this? So it has to be that two-way conversation. And and just taking that on then to your question about the benefits of of delegation, let's be selfish for a moment. You as a leader, what are the benefits to you? Well, you not only get to see more work getting done, but you you then free up some time for yourself to be more strategic in your leadership. You get to be focusing on the work that's actually more aligned to your level, which gets seen by senior leaders who could make decisions about your career. Hint, hint. Um, You know, you also 
get to be seen as someone by uh, your direct reports and your colleagues as someone who actually develops and values their people. So you, be, you, get, a, you get a good reputation as well. So that alone to me, and, and let's always start with, you know, our own personal benefits to delegate. To me, that alone is worth it. It's worth investigating. But there are also benefits to the employees and to the organisation. You know, um, one of the biggest ones is uh, succession planning. When you have done... Uh, a certain amount of delegating over the course of, you know, a period of time, then you're going to know, okay, that person's ready or that person's ready. Well, when I get promoted, these are the three people that I'm ready to put forward to step into my role because I've delegated, they've, they've risen to the challenge uh, and they're ready to go. So, yeah. And one of the things I've observed, even with clients that I talk to, they'll say, Oh yes, um, we we instructed a team to to get this mail out done before the end of the financial year, and I, I I asked them, and how did you instruct them? Oh well, we sent them an email. So delegating by email. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, okay, there's a spectrum, isn't there? So if the work is known and it's automated and it's routine, then it could possibly be okay. But I even then I would be saying to any manager ring ring or teams or zooms or something it can't be just one piece you need to make sure that they've understood you've got to close the communication loop to know that they've understood you you know the more complex something is the more i would want there to be even in the beginning in the setup you'd have more regular touching base more checking in um wanting to make sure people have got the can see that you've got the confidence in them to get the work done and they can feel as though they've got your support and you just haven't just disappeared in your drive-by delegation. So delegating by email is dangerous uh, and, it's, and it's incomplete. Not only that, surely whenever you delegate a task, you should delegate the why of the task. That Why are we doing this task or this project in the first place? So, for example, an email, uh, a mail out to clients of an accounting firm before the end of the financial year is, in fact, encourages the clients to stay with the firm and not want to leave. So it's actually client uh, retention. So if they understood the big picture reason it's not just to tell clients what to do before the end of the end financial year you don't want them jumping ship and finding another accounting firm so it's it's getting people everybody in the organization responsible for sales customer service and understanding what what is the overall big picture benefit of any project or task that we do is that an element that you kind of talk about when when you're delegating oh. a, a task Absolutely. It's, you know, it's not just because I said so at all. It, there has got to be the why behind it, because when we do understand the why we are engaged, we get a sense of ownership, uh, you know, we'll lean in a little bit more. And at worst case scenario, um, I don't really care, but I can see you, that it's important, so I'll do it anyway. You know, <laughs> the worst case scenario to that is they won't sabotage it because that's they'll right. see they'll see the link and the importance. And that's you know, we want we don't want worst case scenario, but we want um, more engagement. However, the why is so critical because it gives it gives the foundation, it gives that purpose. It and like you said, it helps your people see how they fit into the big picture. 
Yeah, that, that's always good. So mm. perhaps can you share with us some of the, the, the how to delegate, some of the positive things that, um, that one should do? The secret sauce as such. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I think one of the things that we need to really start with is to slow down. And um, as leaders and managers, if we don't think and plan first, then we're cleaning up a mess later. So it's really, really being clear about and understanding what you can and can't delegate and take it from my own very, very expensive uh, learning <laughs> that there are things you cannot delegate. So understanding where responsibility and authority lie are really clear. Then yeah. matching up who you'll delegate to. And so making sure that you've got um, a clear picture of is this just a task that I want Bob to do because I know Bob can do it and it's just task allocation or is this something that I want Mary to do because I know it will develop her and um, there might be an opportunity where, uh, for example, if I give a task to Bob because I know Bob can do it, he's very good at it, but maybe there's something else in this as well and we can set it up so that Bob also shows Mary. So Bob gets to have a, an opportunity for leadership as well. And so Bob's the, the responsible and the authority on this and he's teaching Mary and I'm just here as a support person. So you've really got to think about how you can leverage this for the, the greatest amount of impact. So that's the first sort of pieces I would say in the how to. And then being really clear about what resources you can and can't use, being really clear about who's responsible, who's accountable, who needs to be informed and who needs to be communicated or consulted with. And interestingly, uh, one of the things that I've seen happen quite regularly is that when people set up delegation, they do a really great job with, you know, the manager and the employee, but they forget to let the others in the team know that, hey, Chris is doing this task. So if you have any questions, go see Chris. Chris has got it. And unfortunately, all the employees come to the manager <laughs> rather than going to Chris. And so the manager remains the bottleneck. So that's a big thing uh, to be taking into consideration. Who needs to know that this person's got that task? And then as you set that up and you've had your you've got your you're morphing from your plan into your conversation i think what's really really mission critical is that you and the employee agree on when you'll follow up on when you'll check in on what that looks like on how they want to be held accountable now you as the manager um, you might have in your head what you think you want and that's great but i would actually start with asking the employee first and one of my most favorite coaching questions that I always ask is how would you like me to help you stay accountable to this work oh that's that's excellent that's let me, yeah that's let me elegant <laughs> yeah let me repeat that how would you like me to help you stay accountable to this work now as a manager I can just go don't have to think about that because you're going to tell me what to do and see, you don't have to have your crystal ball and have all the answers. That's you've right. got it. You've got it right there for that employee to sit there and go, oh, okay. Well, I think I need a bit of help to start with. Can we meet weekly to start with? Yes. And then we'll review and as we go. And so you'll also know that if an employee goes, oh, no, I'll be right. I'll see you in six weeks. You can say, 
how about we check in in two, just for five minutes, just to make sure. So you've got that in your pocket ready to go. If you feel as though you need to be a little bit more uh, guiding in the follow-up, but here's the, here's the secret source of all of that. If you say you follow up, follow up. Most employees absolutely, it's soul destroying when their manager says they'll do something and they don't, mm. whether they meant to and just forgot or the workload's too busy. You know, I've heard so many employees say, if my boss says to me, leave it with me one more time, I'm out of here. I've heard employees say, yeah, my boss says, leave it with me, which I know is code for, well, there's another idea going to die. So, you know, if you follow, like put it in the calendar, make an effort to do it because that demonstrates how much you value that employee and the work you've just delegated to them. So that's kind of the how-to in a really fast and furious way. Yeah. Oh, look, that sounds like there's a whole lot more to delegating than yeah. I ever imagined. <laughs> it's huge. It's huge. It's huge. Could, are there some, some staff members, individual contributors, who might take a poor attitude to being delegated to and, and match that with, well, you have unrealistic expectations. That's not in my job description. What happens when they encounter that sort of resistance? When I stepped into my first CEO role um, and I was about to start my very first series of supervisions with all my staff, I sat down with the admin that my golden, amazing apps, like this woman was just brilliant. And I, before I could say anything, she said, I don't want to go up any ladder. I don't want any more work. I don't want any less work. I just want to do my job. I love my job. I don't want to do more days. I'm not this anti-fancy career-minded person. Just let me go. If I'm doing anything wrong, tell me and we'll fix it. Other than that, I'm good. And I was like, okay. I was That's so exactly God's what I meant. <laughs> and it was just beautiful because I, I I wouldn't have probably delivered it the way she delivered it. However, I walked away thinking that is as clear as crystal. And I loved that because I knew I don't touch her with a barge pole when it comes to delegating unless she says something to me. And that was fantastic. I didn't have to think about anything for her. I didn't have to spend a whole lot of time worrying that she's not getting opportunities. She doesn't want them. Cool. So, Others did. So would you consider that a disengaged employee or just someone no. that their job is just something that they do in their life? It's not all consuming. They don't, you know, they're not seeing, they're not aspirational at all. Is, are they still a good staff member when that happens? She was one of the best employees, the most loyal employee. She even has an award from a member of the royal family because of her employment. And she, she, like, hands down. And she was the one that actually did a, let's call it a, a micro whistleblowing after our previous CEO left. So she, like, I would, she's employee of the year every year. But she doesn't want more. She doesn't want less either. She just wants to do her job. And there are plenty of people out there. And the minute you as a manager or a leader can identify those people and be okay with it. And also, and here's the thing, and this is what I credit her with saying to me, if I'm not working to standard, we can have a conversation. So here's the thing. It's not about ignoring them. It's about, I don't want, I just don't give them more. 
but you still have to be there and be their leader and their manager and, and make sure that they are working to, to standard. So um, I think that's the, that you've got to be mindful of that distinction around performance versus delegating. Uh, it's a very interesting uh, viewpoint there, Sally, and um, it's good to realise that people are at different uh, stages of their career and not everybody is aspirational and yet they can be an absolute high quality uh, individual contributor. A lot of the people listening to this podcast might not yet be managers, might be aspiring managers. So is there any capacity for them to delegate sideways or up, not just if they've got nobody they can delegate down to? I would say there is generally there is always going to be something however the way in which you do it might vary slightly and we might label things more like collaborate <laughs> rather than delegate um, we may, you know we might want to think about sideways um, if you've got a big project on and you think it's actually really um, beyond just your capacity or you can see there is actually a development opportunity for your colleagues to jump in with you, then ask your manager and also ask their manager, don't assume, um, and see if that could be an opportunity for some collaboration. You know, lots of organisations complain about their people working in silos. What better way to then, you know, break down a bit of that boundary to actually invite others to collaborate with you? So it's not probably technically delegation, but it's definitely in the margins. Um, Look, absolutely. Sally, we're, we're sort of coming to the end of our, our, of our conversation. Um, how, how do and how can people work with you? Oh, thank you, Nina. Just Google my name because there's only one of me. Many people say thank you. Sally Foley Lewis. Yes. <laughs> SallyFoleyLewis.com is where you'll find me. S A L L Y F O L E Y L E W I S.com. There's no hyphen in there in the URL for the website. Oh, that's good to know. All yeah. right. As long uh, enough as it is. <laughs> and of course, you work online to any time zone uh, you're based in australia so you can do face to face uh, in this country and uh and when when the world opens up again probably internationally again as well because you yes. you are an international person a citizen of the world a citizen of the, i love that i love that yes my suitcases are are pining for an airplane so yes <laughs> right well I, I really trust that this uh, this conversation today will resonate with uh, those who are followers of uh, Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. So thank you very much for your time today, Sally. Nina, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honour and a privilege. Thanks. Thanks very much. All the best. Today we've been speaking with Sally Foley-Lewis on the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. Remember to subscribe and listen to Manage Self, Lead Others wherever you get your podcasts. Ciao for now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.